0: Welcome to the podcast, We Do Recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about addiction, but more importantly, about recovery.
1: We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like.
2: Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn.
1: You are listening to We Do Recover.
0: I am your host, Jared Miller. Today in the Recovery Lounge, I am joined by your co-host, Dr. Terry Sellers. we got our producer, Sean Denovan. And our featured guest, Tyler Hansen. This podcast is recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Episode 005 is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. And listen, if your loved one has a problem and you need some help, give them a call at 801-800-8142. Like we do every week, let's start off with what's new and good. Dr. Sellers, kick this thing off for us. What
1: is new and good? Hello, everybody. Hey, uh, so... I don't know if everybody knows this but i i live in Orem. i don't live down here in st george and so uh if you've listened to the podcast at all every other week i i'm in studio and then the odd weeks i'm i i call in live uh so this is the week i'm down here welcome it's my 38th wedding anniversary today yes that's right some human being put up with me for 38 years <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, listen this isn't like a dash of you i'm not trying to make you look you know, feel old, but I'm you've old. been married for four less years than I've been alive.
1: Well, there you go. Congratulations. <laughs> we're probably going to beat you because we're still going to be married when you die. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh so anyway, the reason I talked about being up in Ormond coming down, my wife's with me this weekend, but she doesn't usually come down. And so we're just having a little tiny get to get away. And, uh, you know, all the kids and grandkids are back up north and we're down here and, so, I'm excited. It's fun. I'm glad to be here in the studio in our what we've now labeled Recovery Lounge. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I have anything much more new and good than the fact that I'm still married after <laughs> all the craziness I put her through. Hey, congratulations.
3: Yeah, thanks.
0: Tyler Hansen, let's get you involved in the mix. What's new and good in your life, buddy?
3: And life is good. I'm uh, grateful to be down here in sunny St. George and, and already played 18 holes of golf this morning, and, and things are good. Whoa! Nice. H- did I what? get a
1: phone call? I
0: don't remember I don't, that. I didn't get a text or a phone call.
3: I, I must have not had service. Maybe it was on airplane mode. Oh, oh sorry about wait, that. Wait, he guys. did bring us. You saw That's what he brought true. us. He though. brought us golf balls. That's <laughs> he, nice. He totally. Where, where'd you play? Um, is it Cedar?
1: What is it? I don't know. But you're gonna need to walk up I'll on come the up, mic. A I'll come bit. up a little closer. Yep. Um, I can't remember the name of don't it. Don't worry about it. Okay. Copper Rock. Nope. Have you ever played Copper Rock? Not yet. Okay, I you gotta, it's incredible. They're not a sponsor of ours, so okay. they're getting free uh, <laughs> advertising. But Copper Rock is incredible. you got to play Copper Rock.
0: I just want to say, listen, I understand a lot of people are afraid to invite me because I'm <laughs> super good. I, I most of the time just play best ball because mm-hmm. I'm just that good. That guy. <laughs> if you, you get what I'm saying, I'm terrible. Uh, thank you. Welcome. Mm-hmm. We're super excited to get to you. Of course, our favorite producer, Sean Denovan, The hey, man. What's up? Listen, I'm going to ask what's new and good with you, but let's be honest. Like yeah. The story within the story is Sturgis.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I went to Sturgis last week. It's fantastic. Two days of riding there. We saw Devil's Tower at sunset, pulled into Sturgis with rain and hail. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's like night, hail, rain, and a broken clutch. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So we pulled into our hotel. And we're like, okay, great. Tomorrow we'll fix the clutch. We'll find a welding guy, and then we'll go into Sturgis. Four welding shops later, we finally got it fixed. But at the same time, I had a carburetor problem spewing gas everywhere. So we spent four hours behind a Conoco gas station, rebuilding my carbs twice. So about 5 o'clock, we finally got to Sturgis, walked around for five hours. All right, this is cool. And then went home.
3: <laughs> hey, you know what, though? <laughs>
2: That's and, an adventure. And then two full days of riding. We did Denver to St. George in one day. That was oh on an 85 Suzuki. Thank you very much. Wow. Yeah, so my wife's like, it's always an adventure. I said, it's not an adventure. It's like when you get on the bike, somebody says, welcome to Jumanji. And that's kind of how it is. (laughs) How Um, are we
1: going to die today? (laughs) Yeah,
2: I need to get that shirt made.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you were able
2: to get away and do that. That sounds like a blast. That was fantastic. Is that your first time at Sturgis? Uh, First time I went was about 10 years ago by accident. Okay.
1: How do you get to Sturgis by accident? You're just
2: riding your bike across the country and you see all these bikes, where are they going? And then you see signs for Sturgis. Oh, I guess I'll go there. So that was it. (laughs) Well, I like it. So I walked around there that time for an hour. So, you know, I increased it fivefold this time. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that is awesome.
0: All right, let's get to it. Tyler Hansen. First of all, just thank you for coming on. We're super excited to have you on the show. Let's start off by telling our listeners what your life and recovery looks like today
3: um you know grateful to be on thank you guys for having me terry's been uh, a good friend of our family and his son and and my brother grew up playing golf together and and all the work you're doing appreciate that you're beloved down at Steps. so Mm -hmm. anytime you want to come down and hang out you're welcome to do that thank you thank you um really grateful for recovery you know um i get to come down to st george we've got a facility down here and and pretty much every day i come down i get to go play golf with my dad my brother-in-laws were down here this time, and my dad's got a good uh, buddy named Kenny Holm that he actually played basketball with at Rick's College back in the day. So Kenny <laughs> nice. Holm is 6'9", my dad is 6'5", and uh, and they are become these avid golfers, but they just sit and talk trash to each other the whole time, and I have this uh, realization that no matter what my life was like, if I'd have been alive then, there was no chance I would have gone into the paint at all. <laughs> <laughs> because those two suckers would have fouled the crap out of you. Yeah. So just grateful for life. Uh one of the owners of Steps Recovery Centers with Paul Walkenhorst, a really neat guy and good partner. And um just really grateful to be alive. I'm pretty sure I was I was thinking about recovery today and and I'm just one of those people that was blessed enough to get a second chance that I didn't deserve and just trying to make the most of it. So so life is good.
0: That's amazing. For those of you listening in that didn't catch that. Tyler Hansen is one of the owners of Steps Recovery Center. And will you just tell us, real quick, how many, where are the centers at? I know they're in Utah. Go ahead.
3: So there's seven locations. Um, we have offices in Salt Lake, Draper, Payson, uh, St. George is the furthest, furthest south we go, but they're all just here in beautiful Utah. So Orem. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're awesome.
0: Nice. Let's get into uh, Tyler Hansen's life and recovery. Tell us about your family. I, I see it on Facebook, right? Social media, I follow you. Tell us about how many
3: kids you have, wife, how long you've been married. Let's get the deets. So I've been married, uh, be coming up on five years here in October, uh, to a wonderful patient, uh, woman who's in recovery herself. Um, she's got, she'll have seven years, uh, this coming January. And so she's got that oh. I'll have nine years coming in October decided to put my sobriety birthday close to my wedding anniversary so that i would remember that it's been successful (laughs) at this point smart move yeah yeah i'm learning but i've got five kids my oldest is playing football at american fork uh he's a stud he's a good kid Go Go position go caveman yeah go caveman he's a linebacker
0: hey love it yeah
3: i'm i'm more than happy with it he um is uh, was playing the other day and, and uh, got run over pretty good because there's some pretty uh, solid dudes there and and uh, let me say this publicly if uh, he starts golfing and never plays football again that's gonna be okay with dad too yeah, <laughs> because <absolutely. laughs> my heart hasn't quit racing mm-hmm. since that happened so um, love him I have a daughter named Isabella who's just a bookworm and beautiful and a lot smarter than I am even <laughs> at that age and daughter named Amelia. Um, who would rather be locked in a room with a book than, than talk to another human being, no matter what? And I have some of those days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I completely, <laughs> completely understand it. Social anxiety, the whole nine yards, and, and she's just awesome. And then uh, we have a three year old little girl named Tyler, who is just an angel and is redheaded and as redheaded, all the traits that they say come with that are accurate. Uh, she is as fiery as they get and as sharp as they get. And then I have a little 18 uh, month old boy named Maverick and he's the caboose and he is an animal. So he hasn't figured out uh, not uh, the difference between the dog and the cat. Okay, uh, okay. The dog will let you tackle it will play with you and not bite you the cat actually hates everyone in the house so every now and again he'll run in and tackle the cat and get a pretty good swipe on the forehead <laughs> and he's gonna learn the hard way some of these lessons like his dad so he'll figure it out yeah it out. <laughs> it's taking some time but life is good man i have a beautiful family and you know the opposite of addiction we talk about a lot of times is connection and That's the awesome. connections i have are are outstanding i have um you know I, I have been so blessed with just incredible relationships. Um, and I've, I've said this before. I think the more sober I am, the smarter my dad's gotten. Um, he may have been that smart all along, Terry. I'm not sure. I'm sure it was him that changed. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That's one of my favorite things in therapy. If I fix your mom, then will you, (laughs) will you be able to get better? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, she's not here, so we're going to work on you. (laughs) But I, I, uh, I'm a substance use disorder counselor. I got uh, admitted to BYU to get my master's degree and uh, working on that stuff. I'm taking a couple of semesters off with COVID to kind of run the business and focus on steps. And so I'm gonna finish that up, I think online. But just really grateful, get to work and consult with the Sheriff's Office and the RISE program up in Utah County. Um, they actually let me walk in and out of the jail freely uh, today. And Could you even imagine that back I, in the day? Yeah, I crazy. There's no way, <laughs> but you don't have the thing. You don't, your arms aren't behind your back for some reason. Yeah. I get to wear my own underwear in and, that's unbelievable. and I, I don't even have to eat lunch there, even though it's offered. So that's, that's part of the best. Hold on. You're
0: passing on their lunch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Well,
3: I've not, I've <laughs> not broken down do to eat lunch there. Do <laughs> so so you, you want to
0: yeah. tell us a little bit about hope though? I, I, I want to hear about what they got going on up there and some of the stuff you're involved in. Cause that is your life in recovery today.
3: Yeah. Um, It was the brainchild of James Childs, who's a really good friend of mine, and uh, Ann Waite, and a couple other people. But essentially, uh, what they did was went into jail and said, hey, let's make a transition program for people that are getting out. Instead of getting out, put them on the bus, dropping them off in downtown Provo, let's find some resources, let's connect them with Food and Care Coalition to treatment resources, and see what people have available for the people that want to change. You know, I think you guys would agree, um, you know, part of the harm reduction conversation of things is, is we're trying to keep people alive long enough to get better. Mm. And, and that's one of the things is if they have a chance to go home to a safe environment and have some food that night, the chances of them not using are well above them being homeless on the street and trying to survive that way. So that's kind of his brainchild that he's allowed me to kind of attend and do. And they have uh, uh, Jeffrey Jones, Jason Heidel, some of the guys uh, that are there as well as the captains have been really supportive with it, and and Mike Smith and, and everybody else, and it's it's just been outstanding. It's been really really good. That's awesome. I love that.
0: I can totally relate to what you're saying. I feel like treatment is amazing, and we set these people up for success, right? And I've always said, I've said on other podcasts, I may mention it on here. Treatment is the pre-game, right? When yep. you get released, that is the kickoff. Mm-hmm. That's when the clock starts. It was extremely difficult for me to transition from treatment back into the real world. I was, I had a bachelor's degree. I was used to hearing a lot of yeses. I was used to a lot of great opportunities. And all of a sudden it seemed like the world closed their door to me. And this isn't a pity, right statement. I'm just being real with Mm -hmm. my experience. And I love that because we're really good about treating them and getting them help. But then I feel like sometimes, not always, and I love hope that they're doing this. There can be a disconnect between treatment and the real world, Mm -hmm. helping people transition. Listen, a sponsor's great. But if it wasn't for people like Terry being a mentor to me or other people that have been mentors to me to give me opportunities, I don't, maybe I wouldn't be sitting here today.
3: Yeah. So that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. One of the you know, biggest things, and I have, a, I have a mentor named Desmond Lomax, and he works for us. He's our executive director now. And one of the things we talk about all the time is jail is full of people with mental health issues and, and people that are poor. It isn't for people that we're mad at. It's for, supposed to be for people that we're scared of and we've used it you know and, and the good news is some of these conversations are happening in society but you can kind of see this the switch as to you know addiction's always been seen as these people are so dumb they keep having the same issue but it's their choice and there's nothing they can do about it whereas it's softening over the years because people with addiction issues are clearly people that have mental health issues and part of the blessing of kind of covid that i've seen is we can finally have some of these conversations of, you know, normal people, day-to-day people have mental health issues. People go through hard things and they don't know how to get out of them and they don't have any access to treatment and, and what are they supposed to do with it? So that's been part of the blessing is let's really look at the systems we have in place and are we really helping? Are we hurting? You know, if I had to quit my job every six months because I got incarcerated again and start my job and my life over and get another car and have somebody help me out one more time, I mean, I did that. 300 times when I was in my addiction we've got to look at ways to kind of soften those blows and the rise program is simply you know we have all these wonderful treatment resources especially down here with Washington County court support, support services and all, you know Hope Rising and all the cool you know organizations Renaissance Ranch Lionsgate everybody that's down here can we take an extra bed and give somebody a chance that doesn't deserve it because
0: yeah have I been calling it wrong the whole time is it hope or is it Rise?
3: rise Rise, it's yeah, rise. Yeah. and I apologize no no you're fine I got
0: that wrong so with RISE, that's, that's amazing. That's what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Have you, has it, is it a statewide thing?
3: No, it's just in the Utah County Jail. And so they're, they're doing the same idea down here. Um, Charmaine's uh, goal, if, if you know her, she's Washington County yeah. Court Support Services. They're working on a receiving center, which will be essentially the same brilliant idea. So instead of when you're arrested going and being incarcerated, you'll be arrested, have an assessment from a therapist, and then have access to treatment. So it's just kind of changing the way we've done things, but it's cool because we're actually looking at it and, and going to find some systems that work better. And with Medicaid and all of the access to treatment that we have currently, we, we have beds, we have resources, we have places we can put people in, and get them the help that they need because let me tell you what, you know, if we don't have any disease, Terry, you can probably back me up on this, that I think is treated by locking you in a box with somebody else that has the disease to save leprosy. I mean, that one seems to work out well if we give you your own island.
1: Right. Right. But then there's no great vacation islands left. So
3: yeah, it's unfortunate. (laughs) It's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Now I, that's a great, uh, viewpoint. You said jails are filled with, uh, people who have mental health disorders or poor people. Mm -hmm. And if you count in that substance use disorders, I mean, that's another giant piece of the population, right? Um, we've known for years that jail is not helpful for those people. Yep. Just not helpful. People, what I mean, come on, you've been doing this for a little bit. What do people do the day they get out of jail? They go use. Yeah. Because jail's not helpful to somebody with a substance use disorder. Well, now, what you do is you keep them away from the drug for a second, but that's it. That's the only thing that jail does for a person with a substance and, use disorder. And
3: here's the discussion I had with a guy in Rise, and this wasn't too long ago. As he said, he's been in and out of jail 18, know, a thousand times or whatever, since he was 18, he's now 43. Yes, Hold on.
1: And probably most of those were little tiny, minor. They're, drug they're defenses, minor right? infractions, like, like right? These and, things that you don't need to lock a guy up for, for yeah, the rest of his life.
3: And he's on, you know, he knows every agent, he knows every officer. He's one of those guys that's homeless and on the streets. And when it's cold, he's going to drink so he can stay warm, whatever that looks like. And so I said, you know, Hey. What do we do? How do we help you? Let's let's get you some resources. And here's the issue. He has fines and fees of excess of sixty five thousand oh, dollars. And he has child support and arrears, which is also an excess. So I can get him a job at KFC tomorrow, making twelve dollars an hour, maybe if he gets lucky. The state's gonna come in and they're gonna take half of that, right? And they want this guy, and they're telling this guy, if you do this long enough, you can stay sober and rebuild your life, which is not accurate. Right. It is so hard for those guys to get a leg up. I was going to say,
0: call me crazy. I truly believe you're crazy. the majority. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I truly believe the majority of people that get released day one from jail, right? They, in their heart of hearts, especially if they've gone through a heavy detox while incarcerated, do not want to go back to that substance. Yes. But the picture you just painted, Tyler, of... I get out, I'm gung-ho, but then life hits you right in the face, yep. right off the bat. I mean, yep. you painted a perfect picture of, okay, this is the starting point. And honestly, this is what inspired me to, to really start this this podcast is to give people hope that, sure, if, if, you get, if you're in that situation, whether you're released from jail, treatment, whatever it is, and life smacks you in the face, not everybody's just waiting for that day that they get released to run out and, and use again, right? Mm-hmm. I truly believe substance abuse is the last part of mental health problems. So they hit right in the face, right off the bat, they're stressed, how they dealt with stress in the past substance use. So I think that's a, I think that's huge. I love it. Which
1: which is one of the concepts that I've always tried to teach. And if you've, uh, if you've seen Kevin McCauley's stuff like pleasure unwoven, one of the things we know about, uh, treating substance use disorders is punishment and coercion are not effective at all. So I agree with you. Most people don't come out of jail or prison wanting to use, but they come out of jail or prison in on a cold November night, don't even have enough money to have a car to sleep in. And it's cold. You know, a little vodka warms them right up. Mm. Frankly, a little bit of heroin will not warm them, but they don't care that they're cold. Yeah. You know, that's that's just a really critical problem if people are coming just out of jail or prison and just don't have any access to any resources at all. I can see how you and I and
3: all of us would consider using under
1: those circumstances.
3: And it it, it just, I mean, you can see with COVID all of the, you know, lack of access to jobs and financial problems and different things that brought on mental health issues and, and gave some light to this as a society. I mean, I hope we'll take this time to kind of look at it and say, you know, all the substance abuse issues and all these different things. If you had the life that this guy has, you would get high, too, because we can't you know, we deal, we have a a horrible time dealing with a virus that honestly doesn't isn't going to wipe out half the population. Imagine if those were your circumstances. you're getting out, you owe one hundred thousand dollars in arrears and the best thing you can get is a twelve dollar an hour job. And hopefully your parents are alive and they can you can sleep in the basement how is that guy gonna get a fair shake or recover? And that was my experience with getting out of prison and getting out of jail was all my money got garnished. Everything got taken away. I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to make something of my life, but I mean, you've got three and a half strikes against you just getting out of the gate. So that's the big piece is just kind of saying, hey, let's switch the dialogue from mental health to substance abuse or whatever we wanna make it. But for once, let's look at it and say, Maybe this is something we're creating as a society. Maybe we can love these guys better and give them more opportunities to get healthy and stay healthy.
0: Yeah. And some of them are going to, some of them are going to fall flat on their faces. Maybe not. Maybe some people have dirty intentions versus clean intentions. Right. But I, there's two of us that I know for sure three that are sitting in this room that have gone through that and been able to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. I think I've said on a past podcast it's tough because you don't get a lot of opportunities, which I love that rise is providing those opportunities. And if you're listening to this, when you get those opportunities, it's game time, you've got to make the most of those opportunities. Right.
3: And that was, you know, I don't want to get emotional with this, but, but my brother grew up with Terry's son and they played thousands around of the of golf at Riverside Country Club growing up. And that was the one thing he overdosed and died while I was incarcerated. And it was so, so painful and still is to talk about with my family today. But it was the one wake-up call finally after 300,000 relapses and treatment and all these things that heroin took everything from me. My, my brother who I love that was more handsome than me and funnier than me and was just a better human being than me is gone. And it was the thought of heroin took so much to me. Now I'm going to come say, I'm going to come say, take something from you, heroin. And so that's the kind of the day-in, day-out drive of, you know, I'm going to save everybody, but maybe we can get a few. And if we can help a few more, why not? Wow,
1: that's beautiful. And And, and get emotional if you want. Listen, this is, this is stuff, right? This is the real stuff. I, I'm, uh, I, I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking about the, you know, sometimes the general public would see a guy coming out of prison and say, look, if that guy would just stop using drugs, his problems would all go Mm -hmm. away. Well, uh, that while that might be true, they might go away in two years. Yeah.
3: No, that's uh, the that, day
1: you get out of prison, they're not going they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. The the week you get out of prison, those problems are right there in your face and sometimes they're extremely difficult problems. And so uh I love what you're doing. I like the I like the concept of helping guys out. I also like the concept of turning that stigma around and saying that's not true. Like if the guy would just stop using drugs, he'd still have all his problems right now. He can work on them if he stops using drugs, but yeah. uh, it's an untrue statement that if he would just stop using drugs, all his problems would go away. That's not true. Yeah, and that Mental was, health
3: problems don't go away. No, that was, and, and that's, to be candid, you guys, I still have mental health issues. Sure. I still have stuff I deal with on a daily basis. If I work out, and I was talking to my brother-in-law, and he's got a bad back, and, and, and I don't have... You know the greatest joints in the world from playing sports and everything else but we were laughing if we stay in shape and we work out every morning and i'm not you know don't let things get out of whack and watch what i eat i'm okay you know nine out of ten surgeons will recommend surgery i've never had any of those and i've been lucky to avoid them but i'm i'm okay if i do some self-care and take care of myself and watch what i eat and, and do that but it doesn't happen overnight right right those are
1: those fixes are long-term fixes and they require constant daily attention. And, if, and that's not what our society is geared for, right? right. Our society yeah. is take a pill and it all goes away in yeah. five minutes.
3: And we know we know treatment is most successful at the 18-month mark. And so it's just that connection. Can we stay connected to a therapist? Can we stay connected to a group of people? And that's been the nice thing with Steps is we have an alumni program, you know, about 400 people up in Utah County and 250 down here that they can stay connected to. I love it. You guys have been listening to episode 005.
0: We got featured Tyler Hansen. Stay with us for part two where we get into the details of his addiction.
2: You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after the short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers, brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, uh, we took a quick break and we're back. Uh, We're in the recovery lounge with our guest today, Tyler Hansen. My name is Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. Jared Miller is in the house. What up? What up? What up? And our technical guru, who solves all problems, Sean Denovan is in the house. Hi guys! Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we got some Sean Denovan on the mic, so that's awesome. So, in part one, as a recap, we talked a little bit about some of the things that you're doing in um, that you're doing while you have. Uh, been in recovery, and they're amazing things. We want to go back and talk about a little bit of that story, but got a little bit of housekeeping to do before we do that. So first of all, I don't know if I told you guys, it's my 38th wedding anniversary. Did I mention that? <laughs> yeah, buddy. I hope I mentioned it a bunch because uh, uh, it scores me points. Well, we came down last night, and we stayed. Guess where we stayed? Where? The Hilton Garden Inn. How was it? Oh, my gosh. It that was so good. Amazing. Okay, so the Hilton Garden Inn was great we didn't pull in until like midnight last night i have a job in richfield on thursdays and so i was uh we came in from richfield and i uh, didn't pull in until after midnight and the night clerk was so good like the guy was unbelievable the service was great this guy was maybe one of the most helpful guys i've ever had my bed was awesome i slept like a like a stone it was awesome Anyway, uh, Hilton Garden Inn was one of our sponsor, new sponsors. Uh, we appreciate that, and you should know that it's always sunny and friendly at the Hilton Garden Inn, St. George.
0: It really is. Hey, I've gone there, and the second you walk in the door, it's, it's it smells clean. It's nice. It's, it's an amazing place.
1: Yeah, it's great. Um, hey, you know one of the things we do in the second segment a lot? Phone call or an email, right? Do we have a question today for the med scientist? <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't know if that's me or not, but... That is definitely you. Somebody have a question? Let's see what we got.
0: All right. Before we do... If you have a question for Dr. Terry Sellers, you can contact us at 801-410-0676. All these numbers. Man, got you pictures. got a bunch of
1: numbers you got to memorize. Yes. That's so rough. give us a call
0: 801 410 0676, or you can email us at we do recover with Jared Miller at gmail.com.
1: Beautiful. All right. Let's get to it. Are you ready to hear it? Yeah, I'm ready to hear this. Let's see what we got today.
2: Hi, this is Nathan Osmond. I've got a question for Dr. Sellers. I was curious. I was wondering what is one of the craziest or funniest lies that a, a patient has ever told you who was seeking drugs. You probably heard a million different stories, but this just was curious what kind of uh what kind of imagination imaginative stories have you been told or questions when trying someone trying to seek drugs
1: all right well that's a good question and listen, you guys feel free uh, to chime in if you have any stories, but uh, I was thinking about this, and i couldn 't come up with just the craziest ones. I know i've had some super crazy ones, but there's a couple of things that came to my mind immediately first of all, in a previous life of mine, I used to deliver babies that was uh A long time ago, and I was uh, at times using drugs during that (laughs) period of my life. Uh, I don't believe I ever delivered a baby high, but I'm not going to be able to swear that I didn't. But uh, that's irrelevant. Uh, Patients would call into the office all the time seeking drugs, and it used to make me really angry because it's i'm project, i'm projecting now right it makes me angry that they want drugs when i'm using What's drugs which is ridiculous if, i know if you spot it you got it yeah well i had it and i spotted it but people call in all the time hey uh doc my uh, my my pain pills fell into the toilet okay <laughs> Nobody's thyroid medication ever fell into the toilet. In the whole time that I practiced medicine, nobody's birth control pills ever fell into the toilet. Weird. Only pain pills fall into toilets. I don't know if you know that. Or get stolen out of cars. Or my dog ate my pain pills. Well, your dog's feeling good right now, first of all. And second of all, how come your dog doesn't eat any other medications? He only eats your pain pills. So that's one of the stories I, I heard for sure. And then I've heard... Every excuse under the book, and I'm sure you've heard some of these too, in people who feel like they need to leave treatment. Mm-hmm. Wow. I had a girl who was a, actually a, somebody I knew fairly well from not not from um, my a previous life or anything, but I had treated her at another location, and then she'd come into a to a treatment center I was working at, and just she was great, just had a great spirit and everything, but one day she got this wild hair that she was not going to live any longer if she couldn't go see her dogs like she had to make sure her dogs were okay she had three dogs and she had left treatment and left the dogs in the care of somebody else and she got all worried that the dogs were that that, you know something was wrong with the dogs and she had to go check on them right now you know she was drunk before she got to the dogs right Yep. i mean she She was drunk before she actually got to the dogs and people believe these things in their minds. They, their brains tell them, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And what it really means, but they don't recognize it is I need to use right now. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but that urge to use comes in the survival part of our brain. Um, and our brain starts to perceive we're not going to survive unless we get whatever our drug of choice is, it's a false belief. It's not true, but it is something that happens in your midbrain, which is unconscious, and you're not aware of it happening. You're not aware of it because it's entirely unconscious. But all these excuses that you've ever heard of people needing to leave treatment, and I'm sure you guys could come up with some yourselves, but uh, all of those things really are a fake signal from your brain saying, we want to use right now. No, not, we had we had one
3: check like last really week, out. and I think the guy had a tattoo appointment oh, that he was not yeah. willing to miss, and it was going to be a recovery-based uh, tattoo, oh, and so beautiful. It was a beautiful thing, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, I don't think he was he was out very long, And, yeah, and was calling us, wanted to come back, and sure. it just it's just crazy how your mind gets, yeah.
1: Yeah, that guy, I'm sure was convinced that that tattoo was going to change his life.
3: He, we staffed it and he he came into the clinical meeting and he, his therapist was unethical and she just didn't understand. And I appreciated the entire conversation. It was fantastic. But yeah, your, your mind just tricks you into this spot where if I don't use and get high, I'm going to die.
1: Yep, that's
0: true. It's sad. The things that keep us from staying in recovery,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Yep. All All right. Well, shall we transition? Yeah, let's, let's talk gears. to. I want you know what that let's made me think of. Mr. Hanson, tell me. I want to hear maybe
0: what do we got. Hanson talk about what do we got. So take us back. He's during his details of his addiction. Take us back before <laughs> start before
1: you were addicted. What were some excuses? Kind of what happened when you got addicted? How that all transpired? Let's go. Let's go there.
3: So I grew up in Utah County. Um, my family is the Hansons. So my dad was a great athlete. Um, played ball at Rick's College and and BYU, and then my little brother is Travis Hansen that played at BYU and I, then in the NBA.
1: I cannot believe I didn't know that connection until just now.
3: Yeah, yeah, that guy. And then my sisters. Your
1: dad's house was off of the seventh hole yeah. on Riverside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I did. Where have I been all my life? Oh my god! <laughs>
3: you and I did a significant amount of drugs well, earlier. I think that's probably. I the usually problem. tie that to most of my issues yeah,
1: that's now. Probably the problem. Yeah. Okay, so I know your dad. I definitely, yep. I know Travis. Yep. I knew I knew Landon.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and Landon and Landon was a fantastic basketball player. My, my sisters were animals. They're still by far because they're probably listening to this the athlete, best athletes in the family. Yeah, the they are the twins. They are the meanest uh still currently. It's they went to uh, Mountain View, Mountain right? Mountain View. Yep. yeah. And Mountain. they they when Mountain View was going, I think they, you know, pretty much won state championships every year and they played at BYU and they're just great. Yeah. And the reason I know I'm a mediocre athlete is basically because some for some reason I was born into this family, and I'm 5'11 with cleats on on a good day, right? <laughs> Three-inch cleats. Three-inch cleats, most likely. <laughs> Just kidding. But I I was in this family and, and ultra-competitive, and it was wonderful, and, and never had really any addiction issues. And uh, went on an LDS mission. When I was out about a year, I got a phone call to come to the mission home and found out my mom had pancreatic cancer and was going to die. Oh, man. And so I got to come home, was home for 10 days. My mom's dying wish was I finished my mission. And I think right then, you guys, I made this deal with God of, okay, I'll stay and do the right thing. But when I'm done, you're going to support me and you're going to take care of me. Huh. And
1: I like telling God what to do. Yeah,
3: it, it seemed to work at the time, although I don't think he paid any attention to that <laughs> whatsoever. And so, you know, missions are tough. I worked hard. I was assistant to the president. I had a ton of success, but I never talked about my mom. I, you know, you don't have therapy, you don't have access to things. And, and, and the overwhelming thing at that time was just work hard. And I thought, okay, I'll work hard, I'll get home and I'll deal with it then. And I was able to compartmentalize stuff and be a really good missionary and work really hard, which I think is part of that addictive personality, which I have. But it, what it did was it created some separation and some mental health things for me because I wasn't able to deal with emotions at all. So I'd have, you know, an argument with somebody and I would just lose it because I wasn't able to process things and work through things. So I got home and I thought in my mind, I would go through it with my family and we could look at pictures of the funeral. And the reality is it's the most painful thing. You know, I lost a mom, my dad lost a wife, you know, they're working through it and processing of it. But nobody's wanting to go back and relive those days. And I think for me, I didn't know about therapy. I didn't know about different things. And I really became like mentally not okay. And
0: it was almost like your grief cycle was behind theirs,
3: yes,
1: interrupted by, yeah, by it was something in yeah, life. Put like, put on pause, to do mm-hmm. that, yeah. yeah.
3: It was a year behind, and, and if you follow Kubler Ross and all of the different right. grief cycles, I mean, I was just mad and I was sad at the same time. And, and it, at that, all I knew how to do was work out and, and you know, try to process it that way. And I'd always identified as an athlete. So I could, I could do that part and kind of self care, get through with it, but I wasn't dealing with the mental aspects of things. So my relationships were suffering. I got married at the time to a good, you know, a good girl and kind of the same experience you had, Jared, just, just ran her through the rocks because I was just nuts. Yeah. And in this time I started playing on some softball teams competitively and playing like semi pro softball and, and played on some world champion teams. But it was all with older guys. And, and um, part of that deal was everybody took painkillers all the time. And it was kind of in the Oxycontin heyday. So along with that, everybody had access at the same time. And so I can remember it was, you know, a Saturday. We'd played nine games. It was bottom of the ninth, two outs. I couldn't walk. My legs were cramping. And somebody gave me a couple lore tab. Mm-hmm. And, of course, here's the issue with baseball not only did I take those, but I got the winning hit for the game. So I oh. believed in my head, these, was- these are the answer, right? It's not the dirty underwear and not changing my socks. It's the lower tab. And we won that year and the next year and the year after a ton of games and played all over the country. And it was a lot of fun, but I just got completely, I mean, that was the one time you guys in years and years and years, I had a respite from my pain. For my suffering and for my emotional things and i i used those i mean i have people all the time and terry can relate to this that say you know i don't use painkillers because all they do is take away the pain and i just laugh like that's nah, too bad <laughs> <laughs> it's not only did they take away the pain but i'm the other side for opiates so it's almost like meth for me so i'm excited i'm active i want to do stuff i feel good i feel great i don't my joints don't ache and it's just this party and let's go and so I became super addicted to that feeling and i couldn't um you know my family was successful my, my brother was having successes and i traded on my family's good name for doctors and drugs and was stealing money and doing different things and you know everybody everybody wants a piece of you but at the same time the message i had received over years and years was you know here your family are these incredible athletes and what people had said and i had taken really personally because of where i was mentally was what happened to you yeah and it was it was just a funny thing that people say and your friends would say but about the three thousandth time you just you go just what what is wrong with me
0: yeah and to be clear nobody's trying to like be ignorant oh no or bully you they're saying it as a joke yeah but like you're saying after time you start to think huh. But hold on, are you serious?
3: Mm-hmm. And and in our addictions and in mine especially, you do the comparison thing. So it's your strengths to my weaknesses, my weaknesses to your strengths. Yeah. And for my brother, I was never going to be six seven. I was never going to go in the NBA. None of those things were ever going to happen. And you, but you, you be able to compare yourself with things you can't do anything about. I cannot make myself taller. I cannot make myself dunk. No matter what I do, I've tried. Lot, right <laughs> they don't allow three inch cleats in the NBA no no okay, if they did I still would be five inches you know <laughs> five feet short really but it was just just one of these messages that kind of reoccurred and so there was a point of of desperation where you've lost everything and I burned through all my money and burned through jobs and I just thought I'm going to be addicted to something the rest of my life and so I got for about a decade heavily involved in heroin and cocaine and Oxycontin and buying and selling and doing all these crazy things. And um, I ended up getting caught in Utah County and going before uh, Judge Samuel McVeigh, who's an old army captain. And my uncle was the DA at the time. And I remember sitting there with my best friend's little brother was the prosecuting attorney. And in my head, right, this is the mental health piece. I honestly thought, you guys, I will be out of here in five minutes and high in 10. (laughs) And the judge did what they always do and said, Mr. Hansen, you know, if you don't quit screwing around, we're going to send you to prison. And essentially through my prosecuting, through my public defender, I said, I don't think you can do that. And it turns out they can. They can do that. Yeah. So note yeah. to self, if you're going to court this week, just be quiet and don't say anything because <laughs> they can hear everything. And guys, I, I went to prison and, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it was that one ego part that said you're done and and this is just how this goes and you can't talk your way out of it and i immediately got in the back and i thought can i appeal this decision <laughs> and they said no right. no wow.
0: yeah i love that and we spoke off air before and he said we have similar stories and i can i can see it now As you, it's crazy so that I love that you said that it was the best thing that could ever happen to you because a lot of times people look at rock bottoms as like they're supposed to be the worst Mm -hmm. right but i think that what we view it as is the decline
1: ended Mm -hmm. right yes the incline began can a non-addict even conceive of someone (laughs) saying prison is the best thing that ever happened to me yeah so that was your rock bottom Tyler. that
0: was it
3: man and 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 i went in i was in a group like the third day and there was this African American guy named Anthony King who was our therapist. And I just started doing therapy on everybody and Anthony <laughs> sat down and watched, and I thought that was permission to continue going. And he got up and clapped his hands and said, Mr. Hansen, that's wonderful. He said, the mask you wear, the games you play, the person you're pretending to be is not even real. And he said, if you do this again, or you speak to anyone in the next 30 days, I'm going to make sure you go to the other side of the prison. I love it. And I, I said, it. Mr. King. And he said, that's too much. and for 30 days he brought me in and he let me sit in his office and I'd go Mr. King he'd say get out of my office (laughs) and I got the message you guys of you've run your life into the rocks and then some you've earned your seat here in prison but what are you going to do next and so I had some incredible people show up for me Desmond Lomax who's our executive director now was was working there at the time and we had some incredible conversations of if you want to be a therapist, you could do that. If you want to own a treatment center, you could do that. And um, I've had some people kind of on my side the whole way and he's been one of them. And to this day, you guys, I'll call him and I got, um, you know, married in the temple and and had all these, got into school and got into BYU and bought steps and I'll call him and think, you know, Desmond's going to say great job. And he's this guy that played linebacker for BYU, and he's just a stud. And every time I call him, he just goes, brother, we're just getting started. You are just getting started. You don't even understand who you are yet. You're just getting started. And I would just cry, you guys, because it was somebody that saw something in me that I couldn't see myself. I'd been talked about potential and all the things that you should be in, all the good parts of life, but it was this person that had never lied to me, and I remember when he said that, I thought, why is he lying to me right now? Why would he do that to me? I'm in prison, I'm broken, I don't have anything to give him, why would he lie? And it's those people and those moments, you know, that, that Terry's done for people, I've heard stories and stories, and Jared's done for our clients in Steps Recovery Center that give you that little glimmer of hope that I think is, if this guy can do it, maybe I can do it. And, and that changed the direction of my entire life. And, and it wasn't a ton of conversations. I can't say why the 30,000 other conversations before that didn't register, but I can say in that moment, Terry, I'd been sober for two years in prison. My mind had returned and was clear to some degree. And it was one of those spiritual things of this man is here and he would not lie to you. And I can go back to that and kind of trace everything back and got out of prison. It was brutal. Had to, you know, my family didn't want anything to do with me. Had to go stay with some friends in Grantsville that would have me had to ride my bike to work, had to take the bus, didn't have anything, had to try to get into school, had money from child support that would get garnished out of my account all the time. I mean, it was a constant like drain and battle and all these different things and you You don't have any help. You don't have anybody coming to save you. And I was so lucky to get the opportunities I've gotten to today that I think that's, you know, the overwhelming part of all this and and that you guys are doing too is we just want to help one more person. And I don't have a hard time reaching into my guts and and telling these painful, painful stories. If somebody hears it and thinks maybe tomorrow will be better than today and you, you, you know. That's the biggest piece for me was I was crazy. I was addicted. I was a liar, a thief, you know, just a terrible person across the board. There wasn't anything I touched that I didn't make worse. And today, I think all the time, Terry, that Hippocratic oath of can I leave somebody better than I found them? Do no harm, but help where you can. And I think um, I've gone back and got my education. My sed thing was huge. UYU um, was outstanding. Finishing up my master's will be wonderful. And I think in that process, you learn how much you don't know. And you think, oh, I'm here. Oh, I know this stuff and I own this, you know, the largest private treatment center in the state of Utah. And guys, I don't know anything. I really don't. I went to lunch twice last week with Gary Fisher from Cirque Lodge. And we just sit there and he had the same experience kinda I did with going through the California prison system. And we just, you know, how, how can we help somebody else? What can we do? And he's dealing with, you know, all the money and all the fame and every other piece. And he'll constantly tell me it's the same message. You can be who you want to be. You can do this better. You may have all the access to all the money in the world, but what I'm going to give you is your life back. And it's just a beautiful process. So I'm just immensely grateful for you guys, allowing me to kind of share the message on your podcast, but the message in general of, you know, we do recover, we do get better in our lives can be I mean my life's unmanageable you know I got to play golf this morning with my dad who's my hero who I love more than anybody and who's helped me more than you know it's the one person that just never gave up and I don't I don't deserve that you know I shouldn't be here my brother who is better than me isn't here but I'm gonna make the best of it today
1: so we're gonna have to disagree on some of those points okay you deserve it all dude oh, man. you do Thank we you all for do we all do, and I think that you know the message that I like to carry is this guy that you are today was always there, always inside of you, and always had all of those abilities, but drugs and alcohol rob you of that, yeah getting clean doesn't give you some super well it's kind of cool, but it doesn't <laughs> give you any superhuman abilities that weren't already there yeah. it's just those. Drugs and alcohol mask that. And uh, listen, I'm a Jared and I have this running argument because I'm a giant BYU fan, right? <laughs> and Jared turns out not to be such a big BYU. He likes some other school. I can't remember what their name is. Oh boy! But um, he's holding up the. I don't know what he's doing with his fingers now. Two you, two you, L's. Baby. He's got a loser and a loser on each finger, <laughs> and it turns into some symbol. But. Um, uh, as a giant BYU fan, listen, I'm a fan of Travis Hansen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's not better than you. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything. I don't know much about Travis's personal life. He's probably a better basketball player than you. I might give him that. I'm guessing if you were that good, you'd have played for the Atlanta Hawks for a while as well. But not a better human being than you. And um, I'm not downplaying what a kind of human being he is. I know some of the things he's done with, You know, with his life, but man, nobody's doing better things than you're doing right now.
0: I appreciate you coming on and and telling your story, and I second everything that the doctor Sellers says. The thing that I absolutely loved was the person that you talked about saw you for who you are now and the potential you have. Because I think a lot of times, as addicts, and I was really good at playing this game too, we look and say, "I should be here. I should be doing these things. I should be, should be, should be, should be." And he brought it to your attention here's where you are but here's the potential that you have mm-hmm. take us out in the last 30 seconds bring hope to the listeners as if you haven't already brought enough
1: yeah you got oh. a summary message
3: just you know if you're struggling if if it's hurting if it's mental health if it's substance abuse whatever it is there's somebody out there that can help you and so please reach out the best parts of my days today are the relationships like we have with jared and terry and everybody else and and please just be willing to share your story and talk about it thank you thank you
1: thank you for joining us today on we do recover with jared miller help us spread our message of hope like comment and share if you have any topics or ideas for future shows please share that on our facebook page that facebook page is
0: we do recover with jared miller if you or a loved one needs help please reach out to us
2: Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.